0: UK Motor Talk. So, guys, we've managed to meet up together for what is bound to be yet another sketchy podcast because we're all in different places once more. We can sort of see each other through the medium of WhatsApp. Everyone's gesticulating at me now. So, hopefully, first. You're going for first. I'm going to do a full second on this one. We're going to go Churchill. And so we're here to natter and hopefully entertain you with our thoughts as to what we've been thinking of over
1: the last week whilst we've been in lockdown. If you ever watch uh, BBC's Pointless, when... uh... Two groups of contestants end up with the same score, then it's it's lockdown, and then there's a little stomp, stomp, and a clap afterwards as well. They play that every time there's a, a joint score, but I, I think they might have to change the name of that after this, or or maybe they'll keep it. Who knows?
2: It'll never make number one. There you are. Yeah, you, you have to you have to be a hundred year old captain in the army to make number one. Just at the moment, so it would appear. Good luck to the boy. Yes. <laughs> yes, I really enjoyed the single as well. Not. But nevertheless, I I do admire his effort, but then I was never a fan of Michael Ball either. So, there you go.
1: What car do you think Michael Ball drives? Uh mm. I think, well, I'm going to go mid mid 90s Mercedes convertible, I think. So something he got back in the day and he's never bothered changing it. Um well, I'd like to think that he might be driving an old
0: 530. I reckon that would be the kind of car with a wood trim, an SE spec. Um, however, some people can surprise you, and I have seen a picture of him stood next to a Mercedes SLS.
2: <laughs> right, OK. You do surprise me.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, who Who knew? I mean, he, he strikes you as an Audi all-road kind of guy, doesn't he? I'm going to have a look to see if that's, uh, if, if that's if I can find, A, the image, and, B, whether or not it's a Photoshop, so uh, yeah, talk amongst yourselves. What just was CEO of Rock and Republic, Michael Ball? Please tell me this is not. The, please tell me this is a different Michael Ball. I can't believe this for a second.
2: <laughs> well, one of the things I think Michael you suggested the classics for carers, which I thought, which I hadn't come across the idea, but I thought it was a brilliant idea. But it is. It does sort of touch on something we were talking about at some length last week about whether people would actually spend uh, all of this free time that they suddenly have cleaning their cars or, better still, restoring them. And um, we then suggested that perhaps people would uh, send in details of the restoration.
0: Uh, It's definitely a different Michael Ball. (laughs) 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 In answer to the question, what car does Michael Ball drive?
2: I'm glad we're still concentrating.
0: Yes, so in answer to the question, what car does Michael Ball drive? He drives a Range Rover. There you go. Mm. Fair enough. You've got to have at least one Range Rover, I think, haven't you?
2: Uh, well, in my village, they all seem to, and they push everything else off the road, but that's uh, that's why I seem to be losing right-hand mirrors at a high rate of knots.
0: Well, you drive a <laughs> Volvo, don't you? That's a 2.2-tonne battering ram.
2: Well, it is, but the uh, the like anything else, the wing mirrors are a little bit fragile, and when the choice is between uh, a Banzai leap into the hedge or attempting to uh, drive on my side of the road, other than both sides of the road, uh, then usually the driver's side mirror is sacrificial. And they're bloody expensive on a Volvo.
0: And indeed pretty much anything, I think, nowadays. Didn't you replace um, a door mirror glass on an S-Class, Jim?
1: Uh, no, that was a uh, that was a friend of mine. They were oil filled the mirrors, and uh, I think that the seal or something like that had, had gone on one of them. So instead of being a nice clear oil, it was uh, it had gone all murky and horrible. So we popped down uh, the local Mercedes garage for a quote, and I think the quote was it was it was only the glass that had gone. I think they said it was something like four hundred and seventy-five pounds. So he said, no, no, I don't not the whole mirror. The the you know. The wing mirror housing, etc., is is all okay. Just the glass, or what? Yeah, yeah, that that is just the glass. Bloody hell! So just out of interest, if somebody took the wing mirror off, and so the whole thing was smashed, how much would that be? And I think, including fitting, painting, etc., it was it was north of eleven hundred pounds. I think just for a <laughs> wing mirror, which was a a bit excessive, but
0: madness. Well, we've seen plenty of cars, of course, now that started to have the reverse cameras i say reverse cameras i mean instead of having mirrors they have cameras the new electric honda that's got the cameras as an option so it has like the living room inspired dash with the screens on top and then two extra screens at the side so you can see behind and again on the audi e-tron if you've had a go in one of those you know you have the extra little screens on the side which is brilliant because you can adjust them slightly so you can see down at the curb and everything else but they work in day and night just as well
1: Because if you've got a camera, you can have night vision. Look, I haven't got a a problem in theory, because I suppose the amount the camera needs to stick out is far less than the amount a traditional mirror needs to stick out. The only downside with that is if somebody clips your wing mirror, would it then mean that instead of clipping the wing mirror and using that as a guide to when they've got too close, would they end up taking the entire side off your car? And that's a guide that they've got too close, I'm not sure. (laughs) You can see it happening, can't you? Certainly closer than two metres. Yes. Social distancing from wing mirrors.
2: I seem to remember a certain uh, former colleague who um, lived in a very narrow street and um, it, his car, while parked one day, was uh, hit by a bus, which basically tore the entire right-hand side off the car. Both wheels, entire suspension. So the bus driver did a very, very thorough job of it.
0: That'll do it. I saw a gold that hit up the, uh, up the backside um, by a bus at quite some pace um apparently a hornet had got into the bus and uh, the driver panicked floored it went straight into the back of this gulf span it 365 degrees into an oncoming lorry which then hit it the other way and span it 365 degrees the other way took all four wheels off the front and back of the car off but the guy walked out of it that's incredible isn't it he, apparently the bus driver immediately re- admitted responsibility and everything else has all been sorted but can you just imagine That's be terrifying hmm. Worse for the Hornet.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We did talk very, very briefly earlier about Classics for Carers, and we should really, given the nature of it, we should give it uh, due justice.
0: Yeah, so Classics for Carers, they they build themselves as the national stay-at-home motor show, which I think is a a brilliant concept anyway.
2: It's such a brilliant idea. It's very much in favour of NHS charities and, and not just frontline staff but carers generally, which is uh, one of the facets of it that I quite liked. It predicates the idea that, given the fact that a lot of classic car owners can't go out in them and have been sitting with them on their drives or have been out there polishing them or tinkering with them or doing whatever classic car owners do with their classic cars, that uh, you could contact a website, and I'll give you the website address in a moment, and possibly buy a plate. Or buy a sticker for your car, put it on, and then display your car to anybody else that wants to see it.
0: Certainly, I mean, mine's up in the air at the moment uh, on the stand, so I'm still tempted to buy a a, a plaque sticker on the front, <laughs> so can, at least I can take part. I mean, this is definitely <laughs> going to be the laziest show I've ever would have taken part in.
2: The event itself is May third, and you need to contact www.classicsforcarers.com. Uh, which is nice and simple, Classics for Carers, their name is on the tin. Um, and I just think it's such a great idea that um, you can show off your pride and joy and um, at the same time uh, raise a little money, which I think is just a great idea for, um, say, so not just for NHS frontline staff, but for carers generally.
0: It certainly is for a great cause. And I know a number of other car clubs are coming up with similar concepts. So the London to Brighton Mini Run, which is also due to be In May on the 17th, someone in the club designed a run plaque, which was uh, an NHS run plaque with rainbow bits and pieces on, just, just for fun, basically. And the organisers of the run have decided to create the window stickers that you normally have on the run and sell them at £3 each. So that you can put them in your mini in lieu of the run that would have happened in May, and the money um, raised for that the profit is going to the NHS. So again, a, a, another great way of being able to get involved. And certainly, if you are particularly lazy or short on time, um, this is a great way of being able to take part in something because you can obviously take a photo of your car. I mean, you probably want to clean it first, but actually, if you you know turn up the saturation a bit on the photos, it's fine. Um, or add a moody <laughs> filter. Um, Go or just clean Valencia. The front of the car. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Bit a bit of Valencia Pro. Just just stick the uh, uh, stick stick the the plaque on the front to get some photos and and take part. And it's a great way of being able to do it. Uh, and and a lot of communities are, are, are building online car communities now, based on the fact that we have this this shared problem of not being able to go anywhere. Um, another problem of not being able to get bits um the as, as an exciting order update for you the parts i ordered from a uh, motor factors that sounds nothing like uh, uh, huh, um uh, one month and still waiting for bits uh with no with no content so good um but yeah i mean i think we've got a, a whole community that's um that's that's building relationships that are really looking forward to meeting each other some people I haven't met before but a, a lot of, of of online presence now so people can share and enjoy in a passion that we can't uh, share and enjoy uh, as it stands at the moment
2: i saw a piece i think yesterday which would uh, you're both ford men which i thought would be right up your street and uh, i'm a former drag racer ford have come up with an electric dragster mustang which they're just about to try out in the states apparently well Somewhat delayed, uh, I guess, because they can't run it in public. But uh, this thing is uh, reckoned to do low eight-second passes. That's quarter-mile, Stanley Start quarter-mile. 170 miles an hour for the quarter. Man, that is is 1,400 horsepower. Wow.
0: Crikey, that will do. Now, they've been tinkering with the Mustang electricity, and I'm not talking about the marquee, regardless of whether you think that's a proper Mustang or not. I'm talking about the normal crowd-eater Mustangs. Mm. Um, And they have made an electric manual mustang
1: yes i had a look at this it was it was it's one of the most confused. i just, I just couldn't get my head around it as a concept a manual electric all electric car i mean a, a manual hybrid or a manual mild no. hybrid I, I can kind of understand um anything with with a combusting engine still in the drivetrain yes i can understand a manual gearbox in it but uh i, I just didn't i couldn't understand an electric manual car but no, I like the idea of that a lot, though, because
0: let's face it, if you're into your cars, um, don't get me wrong, auto transmissions now are, are pretty incredible. It used to be a case that you had, as you went through the gearbox, disappointment, power loss, and then nothing exciting <laughs> happened in an auto box. Whereas now, if you're driving something, um, I mean, a DSG box is a good example of this, and I say this because obviously I have one to understand a bit more how this works. But if you're driving a manual version, you're looking over five seconds to 60. If you're driving one with the DSG, you're looking about four and a half. So, yeah, it changes gear faster than I ever could. But, honestly, when it comes to pacing down a B-road, a manual transmission, I would argue, is more fun. Although you can flick through the paddles and things, and yes, that's great, there's something about swapping cogs which is genuinely very enjoyable. It connects you to the car. And although you know, we're moving on to the idea of electric cars, and some of us are perhaps more sold than others... The idea that you could have a manual box and drive an electric car, I think, is a, a quite an interesting concept. I think you'll end up paying a lot more for it. But I think if you, when it comes to drivers' car, I would still like to have that option.
2: Yeah, it may, may well be. I mean, the, the the argument for the four on the floor, as it was in the sixties, um, yeah, people just wanted authentic, real gearboxes, and you know, the three-speed torque flight or whatever it was fitted in American cars then was was. But they called them slush boxes because that's what they were. But, you know, that that was still the case. As you know, I was doing a lot of road testing in the 90s, and I can remember uh, driving, a, uh, I think, BMW 8 Series, the Saloon 8 Series, and driving it down the A24. And, you know, on a, every bend, it seemed to manage to be in the wrong gear, and I would, I would wait for it to find the right gear, which it did eventually. I think it was only... A, four speed auto box and it was it was horrible you know uh, the, the the amount that auto boxes have come on in that intervening 20 years or so is, is just is just quite extraordinary you know seven eight speed boxes now mustangs are, very, very are 10 common. speed now yeah yeah
0: i think for me the first the first revelation auto boxes was an xj and i was given one of the aluminium bodied xjs it was a i think a 2.7 twin turbo and i pulled out to overtake a car and ended up accidentally overtaking five cars um, <laughs> down, down the country road. I put my foot down, it just the power delivery was so linear. And straight past everybody, back in again. i thought, like, Ooh, that's, that is pretty impressive. And that, that really did change my attitude towards auto boxes. to be honest. <laughs> I think if you've got something with enough power, they work quite well. If you've got something which is a bit humdrum in terms of its power, then they tend to be just a bit boring or a bit rubbish.
1: Well, I think the um, the joy of a manual gearbox is the interaction and the the feeling of being in control, and it's another tool to manipulate the balance and the handling and the the progression and the performance of the car. So if it's a, if it's an automatic gearbox that's got paddle shifts and and it shifts quickly and and responds to that that shift rapidly, then then it can make it a joy. A very good, uh, as Graham said, a very quick gear change on a paddle can be almost as exciting as a manual gearbox um, not far off but the it's the gearboxes with no method of being able to drop it up or down a gear that i'm not so much a fan of as that makes occasional progress in everyday life a bit tricky so
0: if you if you have an electric car thinking about this with a manual gearbox how on earth do you know how to change gears especially considering how fast they accelerate we know this from tesla and all the electric cars i mean how would you know
2: very good question. We, uh, we don't know.
1: When it, when it goes from a to a I would imagine. <laughs> Something like that.
2: Hmm.
1: Having said that, my, um, my car, which is a, uh, a plug-in hybrid, has gears. So when you're driving it on electric power, you can feel a gear change in it. You can't do, you can't do it manually. If you're in all electric mode, you can't change gears manually. Uh, but you do feel a, a little step in the acceleration. Um, as it drops off slightly and then changes into the into the next gear. But like anything, electric motors rev, don't they? So do you have a a separate rev counter for the for the electric motor? <laughs> yeah. And when, when when the blue light comes on is when you change gear. I'm not sure.
2: I, I, coming back to briefly to the Ford Mustang. I mean, given the fact that the electric motors are really all about high torque rather than outright power, you can see why it would be useful in in a dragster. It's certainly, a hell of a lot quicker than. Uh, well, I used to drag race in the 80s. Yeah, but well,
1: sure. of course, with, uh, as, as you say, with, uh, with that amount of torque, there's, um, it, that does kind of negate the need for gears or a, a gearbox. You know, if you had something um, mm. particularly old school that just had bags and bags and bags of torque and not a lot of weight or torque relative to the weight of the vehicle, you could set off in third or fourth gear um, quite, quite happily and just accelerate all the way up in third or fourth up to 70, 80, 90, 100 miles an hour. So, do you, yeah, do you actually need a gearbox if you've got that amount of torque?
2: exact opposite end of the um, sort of power-to-weight ratio, the J40 cars that, uh, that the kids race at um, in the setra thing at cup at, uh, at Goodwood. Uh, and they're great fun. I mean, I've, I've watched them over several years. And a company called Berlin, who actually owns SU Carburettors and many other, Zenith and so on, and supplies all the sort of spare parts, has just set up and bought uh, from Roy Halford the spare parts business for J40s. Now, if that isn't a niche business, but they're fetching such silly money now, I mean, typically, if you want one that that will get an entry at Goodwood, you're spending somewhere around three to £5,000 for a kid's pedal car. Amazing.
0: They are it's cool, crazy, though, aren't they? I, yeah. I, I, admittedly, I think to go to that sort of money, it's it's like everything; it suddenly becomes a rich man's game, doesn't it? Because um, for that sort of money, and I know you, Jim, you've been shopping around to have a look and see what you can get whilst we've been stuck at home for that sort mm-hmm. of money. And I think we'll come back to that in a second. You could buy some some serious car. I mean, I, I dare say you could. Well, in fact, you could. You could buy an Austin A40 for that money, couldn't you? You could buy, you could buy the real thing. Let alone the pedal car. The, I think the J forty race has got to be the, 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 the sort of the cutest thing in Goodwood, though, isn't it? It's brilliant. Watch the kids do a mm. Le Mans start, jump in the car straight down the down the straight. And you do wonder how long they practice this at home. Do you have parents that are just right go, and then just practicing the Le Mans start with them over and over and over again? You know, have, to have it, they have it, little rigs at home?
2: <laughs> it does seem to be extremely competitive. I, I'm in the unfortunate position of. Uh, remembering them the first time around. I had one as a, as a very small kid when they were tin and didn't cost an awful lot of money. There were, it was an interesting backstory that, that, uh, in reading up a little bit on this story. Austin set up a factory in Wales for disabled miners, i.e. miners that had been injured in mining accidents, and all of them were built by disabled miners. Great idea. Well, one of the great drivers of the 50s excelled in Grand Prix cars post-war and very successfully at Le Mans, Duncan Hamilton, who would have been 100 next week. Ex-fleet air arm, flew Lysanders during the war on all kinds of secret missions, so he had a, an amazing war record. And unlike so many of those guys, he was a contemporary of Sterling and uh, Mike Hawthorne and so on, who came out of the uh, forces just after the war, and uh, set up a garage, was fascinated by by motorsport, obviously had a little bit of money to um, uh, his disposal, and he opened the garage and, and started racing almost immediately. In 1948, he bought a Maserati 6CM, which was a really, really powerful car in its day. I mean, it was one of the top Grand Prix cars in the immediate pre-war years. And then he moved on to a Talbot Largo, and he had a pretty good uh, F1 career for a few years, through sort of 51 to mid-50s. And, you know, he was, he was sort of top ten, front half of the field. I think one of his great claims was that at one particular race, he beat Fangio by several places. Um, that took a bit of doing. He said, in the
0: wet, Hamilton had few peers. In his Talbot lager, he eclipsed um, Fangio at a soaking BRDC International Trophy at Silverstone in 51. There you go. So he beat him in the wet.
2: Yes, yeah, that takes some doing. The thing that uh, he's probably most well-known for was uh, the successes he had with Jaguars, particularly in uh, in Le Mans. He competed in Le Mans nine times, was never worse than 10th, and in fact won in 53. And uh, I've actually been in that car. Uh, It was demonstrated at Goodwood one day. I just happened to be there. And it was being demonstrated by Johnny Herbert. So I managed to get three laps of Goodwood in the 53 Le Mans winning C-Type, with the plaque on the, on the dashboard, uh, with Johnny Herbert driving. Three laps was, was pretty much enough for me. Johnny was fairly wild in the car. But uh, we all got into a bit of trouble when we got back into the pits because I damaged both eyes slightly. Johnny was in a full-face helmet. I was in an open-face helmet wearing sunglasses. And uh, he was going fairly quickly. So I ended up, after three laps, looking, you know, pretty good impersonation of a panda with uh, two very, very black eyes. But never mind, it was a great ride. And it was a a great car, Uh, one of my sort of favourite all-time cars. I've been lucky enough to drive a road-going one. I mentioned earlier he was a contemporary of Mike Hawthorne. He took Mike's death very badly in that accident that he had in 59. He then, you know, he retired in, in 59 just after that particular accident. Great pity. He was, uh, let's say, one of those, those great characters uh, of that period. Those uh, gung-ho guys from, from the war years that um, they seemed to need to live a dangerous life, and he certainly did.
0: Duncan Hamilton, the Talbot Largo he was driving, um, was a T-26C. Um, mm-hmm. And another veteran of, of the war years, uh, Fleet Air Arm... Was, and a similar sort of story to the extent that he bought a garage and, and spent his time racing. Uh, Cuff Miller, who never made his way into Formula One or anything similar, uh, but just did it because he, he really enjoyed it. He uh, raced a 1937 Talbot Largo Type 26 SS, um, which was actually built uh, for Le Mans, but never competed because the war broke out so he raced one of those so there were a few of those that, uh, that, are, that are still racing and, and actually the reason why I mention it is his is one of them so if you do want to see a, a Talbot Largo um, thundering around a track you can and it's run by Richard Pilkington and his daughter and his daughter more commonly now racing it it's out there and it does compete in the historic uh, championships so if you want to see one running you, you still can
2: Jim, we were talking earlier and wandered somewhat off the subject, as is our wont, about buying cars online. And, and as a principle of a car dealership, do you see that as a a threat, or is that something to embrace? Is is that a new avenue opening up, or are you already there?
1: Uh, well, I, I think we're already there, and I think most dealerships are, are already there in in one form or another. Uh, I mean, something that we've always done uh, over the years is sell vehicles to members of the armed forces. Typically, those are stationed abroad, as they can take advantage of certain. Vat savings, um, namely being that they don't pay any. So we've, uh, for years, we've been selling cars via email and, and, you know, sending photos. Or more recently, we we use WhatsApp, etc. So that's a, that's quite a common thing and been around for a while. I suspect that selling cars online applies and is more relevant to either new cars or. Very rare cars. With a new car, if you buy it online, and uh, and if I'm talking to three different dealerships and I want to buy a red Fiesta ST line, for example, then one red Fiesta ST line that's brand new with the same engine and the same spec as another Fiesta ST line that's red and brand new, they'll all be absolutely identical so the the risk or the 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 feel or the condition of the car etc you know it'll be brand new if you're talking about used cars i i still think there's a lot to be said for looking feeling smelling touching a uh a used car so the online sales of that, I think that there are certainly more pitfalls with regard to selling a used car online. Distance selling then comes into being a factor. But having said that, if it was a used, um, well, let's say a, a Talbot Largo and, and there's only one for sale, then well, it doesn't matter whether it's online or not. If if you want to buy one, that's the one you're buying. For certain vehicles, I would say either the very new or the very old, yes, it, it, it is A very important part of the industry certainly some of the cars that i nearly bought i'm
0: glad i went and smelt them first um but (laughs) i think when (laughs) when it when it comes to to new cars i would happily buy a new car from anywhere it wouldn't bother me really if i bought it from scotland because it's a new car it's the same car if it's down here or up there or wherever it doesn't really matter when it's a used car used cars are all treated differently when it's a new car, you never get to. It's very rare if you're buying a new car, you get to drive the actual car you're going to buy, and, and no two cars are quite the same. But a used car, you can have one very abused example, one very good example. In photos, it's not always easy to tell. And until you drive it, you sit in it as you say, you smell it, and some cars do smell terrible. Um, <laughs> but, you know, all these things. And actually, I, I, don't, I can't imagine buying a used car online unless, as you say, it's something that's very rare. It's just too much of a risk.
2: It seems to be what all the auction houses are doing at the moment, though. They've they've all gone on onto um, uh, scenarios where people are just buying entirely online. Whether you would want to spend five, ten, fifteen million pounds on a car that you hadn't actually seen, um, and you were maybe three continents away or whatever, but people seem to do that. And if it's if it's one of, or you know, there's only a few of those in the in the world in existence, then. Uh, that's what people do. Or people that have got an awful lot more money than than I have. I think if you're spending fifteen million, it's a little bit different to someone going out and spending fifteen thousand, though, isn't it? I yeah. I'd if you've got so. uh,
1: if if you've got fifteen million, even if you haven't got the time, you can probably afford a couple of quid to pay a man to go and have a look at it for you, and mm. uh, and tell you exactly what it's like. But that's the business model of uh, of a few car dealerships, and I use the term dealerships in inverted commas. You know. Um, car companies that uh, that specialise in buying cars out of um, Japan particularly, or America, um, bringing them over here, they handle all the shipping, the registration, the importation, etc. So again, for, for something like a, uh, a rare Japanese import, if you're after something like a, an R34 Skyline, um, then you can mm-hmm. often get a better deal and a car that's in much much better condition um, buying something from Japan than you would ever find in this country. Um, but again, that's that's down to how each each dealership operates. There was a a, a dealership I was looking at a long long time ago, and they, they had something in the line of the the minimum number of pictures they had for each car they had for sale was seventy five. Uh And they had a video walk round of the car, but they they would go around the car and show you every single microscopic scratch dent chip um there'd be three or four detailed photos of every single panel, so you really could get a feel for the condition of the car, and their description of the car you know even went down to whether the cigarette lighter had been used or not um just to give you that that reassurance and that that peace of mind. Um, and there'd be little things like uh, they'd, they'd show you the oil level, but also the colour of the oil, and they'd, they'd put it on a white bit of tissue for you so you could see how fresh the oil was, etc. So, again, it's, it's down to how each individual company approaches it. To uh, and Looking at one of those cars, I'd have probably actually quite happily put my money down and bought one of those, purely because you could see 100% what the exact condition of the car was. Mm. Mm. I have once bought a car blind, and I'll freely admit this was a terrible
0: mistake, this was early on in my car buying um, uh, history, and I bought an XR3 on eBay. And in the pictures it looked great, oh. but as was the case in many XR3s uh, in those days, and RS Turbos and everything else, um, I drove over to an estate in Essex to go and pick it up, and it was one of the few cars <laughs> that, <laughs> that wasn't up on blocks. This,
2: this story's uh, getting worse and worse. I, I, worse. Like I think and...
1: I can tell where we're going. With this.
0: <laughs> it was, how should I put this? Um, a little bit rough around the edges, more of a rolling <laughs> project perhaps than it was a, a reasonable car. Well, it was rolling, that's a good start. Well, I had a fresh MOT with no advisors, which was quite impressive, especially when I took it to the next MOT and found some holes in the chassis rails. But they've been there for some, some time, yeah. He apparently just had his mate do it for him, which was great. Um, ah. But I will remember crawling underneath the car because I could see something hanging down under the back, I couldn't figure out what it was. So I, I jacked the car up, had a look underneath, and thought, oh, there's a cable. That's, that's hanging down, and it's, oh, it's been gaffer taped to the fuel tank, I wonder what that is, uh, and it was the wiring for the fuel pump, um, which oh. sat behind the fuel tank, um, and there'd obviously been some sort of problem at some point, because they'd cut the loom off, twiddled the wires together for each side, gaffer taped them together, and then gaffer taped them to the fuel tank to make
1: it work. Oh. Um, it would have but been. But fuel, fuel pe- petrol, in particular, as you know, is is a smashing electrical insulator, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it was highly right recommended. It. it was right next to the the. Um, there's like a vent pipe on them, um, so it was right next to the vapor vent pipe. Oh. Um, uh, and I remember going, "Oh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I saw that." Pro- I was, probably, probably want to have a look at that soon.
2: I'm not tell you a story, but smelly cars. You you refer to cars and their their smell. I, I years and years and years ago sold a Mark II Cortina GT, which was a very nice car until Fair I on. dropped a gallon of milk in the front footwell, oh. and it. The num- the, well, I, I did sell it in the end at a considerable loss. Um, but the smell was unbelievable. It smelled like uh, a dozen cats had died in there. You know, it was just unbelievable smell. Somebody bought it in the end, but I think they probably will have uh, taken it apart. It was a very quick motor car. I used to regularly thrash it against a Mark II Lotus Core and beat it. Is, it, is that because so you it, wanted to
1: get out of it as quickly as possible?
2: So. <laughs>
1: talking of buying cars online obviously I'm, I'm sure like a lot of you listening at home or or in the garden or wherever you are presumably not on the commute um we've uh, we've all been looking around at, at cars that we would buy if uh, if lockdown was lifted and we could uh, go and have a look at them and uh, and indeed smell the inside of them so should should we do should we do three categories so we've got cars for every budget then should should we have a look at sub 5000 pound cars first shall we for me sub 5 grand I saw a 1967
0: supercharged MGB GT. Mm. And actually, five grand gets you a lot of car because you can buy for a few grand. You can buy a Boxster if you wanted to, or if you wanted a family car, you can buy a Cayenne if you want to. I mean, God knows how good it would be. But for that sort of money, you can actually buy a reasonable amount of car. You can buy sensible stuff as well if you want to buy a Fiesta or a Polo. But you know, mm, you, if you... You,
2: you can buy some interesting toys if if you don't mind spending a bit of time uh, and effort to knock them back into shape. Because very often they are that price because they deserve to be at that price. But uh, quite often they're they're you know, yeah, if you've got a bit of mechanical knowledge, they're quite easily rescued. And yeah, there's some there's some very attractive and interesting motor cars.
0: Uh, I guess, and it depends what you want. Because actually, if you want some cheap topless motoring i think a boxer's probably not a, a bad shout it's a great little car regardless of it's somewhat you couldn't afford a proper porsche image they're really good fun
2: would you buy a porsche boxster
0: i don't think i would i think i'd probably more likely buy a 944 which is some would say even worse you you've, front you've, got a a you've got a thing about 944s haven't you I'm yeah sorry. i like oh, the I 944
2: do. i'll go with that i th-
0: i think they're massively underrated if you think about what, the, an, an, what a 911 costs now, for example, 944, you can still buy a reasonably sensible one. Admittedly, you wouldn't buy a turbo for this budget anymore. Um, and, in fact, you might even struggle to get a really nice one for that sort of money these days. But pop-up headlamps, man, on a Porsche. Is that not cool? <laughs> uh,
1: well, I've been having a look around, and I've found quite a, uh, quite a tidy... I can not The budget doesn't quite stretch to a turbo version, unfortunately. Uh, but I found a, a very tidy uh, Mark II... Toyota MR2. The uh, the MR2's got the pop-up headlamps. It's in uh, in Caribbean or Caribbean blue, depending on your pronunciation, which is the uh, the best colour to have, in my opinion. Um, and there's there there are cheaper versions around, but again, like anything, you uh, you get what you pay for. Four and a half grand. is what is up for uh, 1995 registered. Done 116,000, so just about running, I would say, on that engine. <laughs> and uh, very uh, very tidy looking it is too. So a bit of summer fun if uh, if we ever get round to uh, to being let out this summer.
2: That was a very good engine. My uh, good lady had as a company car the um, uh, GTI sixteen, which was basically the same engine and transmission turned around in a hatch configuration. It was a very very quick and very reliable hot hatch.
1: Uh, What was that in a Corolla was it or? Yeah. The Corolla well, GTi 16 it, valve. It actually, I think the um, when you say the the engine turned around, it was actually the the whole front end of the car was yeah. turned around because you even you could still see the um, uh, connections for the steering arms on bits of the rear suspension on it um, that they literally had just taken the whole thing, psh, chucked it in the back and turned it round the other way, which is uh, which is good engineering. I like that.
2: Uh, interesting engineering. It was certainly an ultra reliable <laughs> car. Along similar lines, I saw recently uh, what I thought was a very good figure—a nine-six-eight Club Sport, which is a car I drove when it first came out. Brilliant, brilliant car, and and incredibly affordable now, because it seems to be a, a Porsche that nobody wants at the moment. So now's the time to buy. It's a bit like like uh, Ferrari three-four-eight, three-two-eight, that sort of generation of Ferraris. Nobody wanted them for years, and, and now they're fetching serious money again.
0: Mm, it's absolutely. Really I mean, it was even the case of things like the, the Testarossa, wasn't it, for a while? Or Testarossa, yeah. depending which way you want to pronounce it. We're going to do this all day, I think. <laughs> with Lots of people do different things, different ways. But that, that, I think, was one of those cars that, to my mind, is pretty iconic. But for a while, they were sub 40 grand. Um, and now, yeah, they are silly money by comparison. And I think that Porsches tend to go through this period of, of being worth not a lot. And it's the same for Aston Martin, which I'm sure will feature for me later on in uh, in our <laughs> discussion. Um, and I think you can buy some absolutely superb cars for not a lot of money if you're willing to take the risk of what it's going to cost you to run them. Um, because that's the thing. And you see this when the E46 M3s got to sub 10 grand. People were buying those, mm. but then really balking at a £1,000 service.
2: You've got to be able to either do it yourself or know a man who can. It's a continual investment, but you have to buy on the basis that you anticipate it being a continual investment. There's no other way of looking yeah. at it. It's, it's the cost of, of usage, but given the fact that if you've bought one of those, and, and I think, the, what was it, the Evo 16 valve? can't remember the nomenclature now, but they were a very, very quick car in their day, and if you mm. find a good one, yeah, now's there's, there's the time to, to buy it if you can get the right price. Like anything else, I... I can remember driving a Ferrari Dino uh, in the nineties. Nobody wanted a Ferrari Dino then; they were considered to be a Fiat, Uh, so nobody, you know, nobody would pay good money for them. Now, a good one fetches three hundred fifty, four hundred thousand. You know, just just they've escalated. Suddenly, they've become really, really fashionable. And the other, the other Ferrari I noticed recently that nobody wanted because they were really agricultural was the 512. Uh, and again, I, I drove one of those many, many years ago. Um, and they were like driving a dump truck, you know, the heaviest clutch and brakes you could imagine, and an awful gear change. Now, again, they're fetching serious money, you know, good, good ones, quarter of a million plus, half a million in some cases, if it's the right one. They're collectible mm. again.
0: I don't think you'd go too far wrong with a Ferrari, to be honest with you, if you want something as an investment. But, see, whereas you say you've got to be prepared to do it yourself or know a man that can, I think that, actually, if if you're going to buy something that's... Not for this money, admittedly, but if you're looking to spend a bit more and it's something you're going to buy as an investment and you're going to... I think you really need to make sure that you can budget for having the car maintained either by the you know a main dealer or by a very very reputable specialist um because i think actually if you're coming to buy something with let uh, you know, say it's say it is a ferrari or a porsche or whatever it to me it would sort of ring an alarm bells you're thinking oh someone's <laughs> someone spent a lot of time taking this to fred in the shed um, you'd yeah. have to be quite certain wouldn't you
1: yeah i do remember uh, reading a story about a uh, chap in America who owned a McLaren F1, and and he was going through the the service bills, which were absolutely ruinous for him. But also the the servicing uh, constraints that it, they had to he had to match. You know, every time you had a set of tyres fitted, which you had to have all four replaced every eighteen months or three thousand miles or whatever it was. You know, you you had to um, pay for. McLaren to take the car to a track to check that it had all been done properly it was a four wheel alignment every time it was x y and z it was it was a really involved procedure but actually he had it mean, he kind of just viewed the the maintenance as uh, protecting his investment or adding value to it so actually he he still made money on the car over the years because of the amount he'd spent on the maintenance and keeping it Keeping it up, as you say, with that that main dealer and that factory support. So, even factoring silly maintenance, you know, I think a thousand pound service, as uh, as you mentioned for a BMW, would have, would have been very cheap. Um, but even so, factoring all of that into account, he still made money. Um, but then it's it's a bit like houses, isn't it? You know, if you uh, you buy a house, sell it however many years later, and you've made X thousands of pounds worth of profit, you know, you need to keep the roof on and. Uh, keep everything going. If it springs a leak, you need to fix it, etc. So again, it's that that maintenance and, uh, and running repairs, isn't it, to uh, to ensure it holds its value.
2: And the corollary of that of costume is, if you have such a car and fail to uh, maintain it properly, the 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 value of it just plummets like a stone. Mm, and you know, absolutely. you 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 do get classic cars turn up at at, at auction that uh, you know are really in in. Pretty poor condition. I'm not talking about barn fines, they've just been neglected generally. Um, and you know, if you've got the wherewithal to bring them back up to spec and bring them back up to a decent condition, you can get a bargain. All these things are relative, you uh, know, for some people 25 grand's a bargain, for others 25 millions a bargain.
0: And, and I have to say that I've just found what well, I think to be a bargain a, a 944 a 1986 944 <laughs> that's had paint but otherwise is in pretty good shape. Uh, with 93000 miles on the clock all the alloys have been refurbed, and it's in the right color red and it's at 4850 offers invited um so uh, it, i i it, it's it's good thing really that we can't travel around the country at the moment uh, <laughs> because you you look, I look at that and think yes that that has got some uh, some serious potential
1: very nice indeed i think we've done quite well on uh, on 5 grand cars. though. should we should we up the budget to about 15 what do we think for uh, for sub 15
0: Hmm. Well, you can buy a lot of metal for fifteen grand.
1: You can. It's, it's actually the the trickiest thing is is sifting through, and the, unfortunately, there's no button on um, most used car buying sites where you can just tick interesting or uninteresting because it's uh, let's let's face it, we want to buy interesting cars. So I, I, I think I went with uh, with more nostalgia for one. Of mine. I did have a look around for uh, an Impreza twenty two B or a P one, but those are. Re- ridiculously north of fifteen grand, um, uh, so I, f- I found one that's uh, that's not a uh, not a bad substitute. It's an Impreza WRX STI Type R, which is a, a rather attractive bit of kit.
2: Very interesting motor car. Very quick.
1: It's in the same shade of blue, so I, uh, I just seem to be finding mid nineties blue Japanese cars at the moment. <laughs> Typical mid nineties <laughs> interior, mid nineties Japanese interior on it, but a uh, an interesting and uh, and quite a lively bit of kit.
2: Probably more reliable, but I have to say, my heart would tell me for that sort of money, I'd want to go um, European, probably Italian, and probably a Maserati or or an Alpha or something like that. For fifteen grand, you could buy a Maserati by Turbo for around ten, eleven, twelve grand. It wasn't their finest era by any stretch of the imagination, but I have, I've driven one, well and they're they're still quite potent.
1: I think the uh, I think the answer to that is you also like to live dangerously,
2: don't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you 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 don't buy into that without knowing what you're buying into. You know, do do your homework. It's not, uh, it's not what it's going to turn up at the uh, local car auctions. But if you know what you're buying and know what to look for, you, you can do so but expect I, it to cost you some money in the long run.
0: I've seen some, some pretty nice um, Maserati Coupes at, at, at 16, 17 grand, which has been hugely surprising. But for me, I'm going to go... I'm not sure if, if this is slightly left-field or not, but I'm going to go wafty Coupé GT car, and I'm going to go for a Jaguar XK. Now, the one that I've found is a 2011 61-plate, 5-litre uh, V8, obviously, Um, with 40,000 miles on the clock and history. Uh, Admittedly, I have stretched the budget here. It's just over 15 grand, but I think with a bit of negotiation, you could probably get there. Um, And I find it pretty incredible that a car, in my mind, that seems pretty new. And I think that genuinely, the XKs, the older ones and the later ones, are really looking better and better. And this happened with the XJS. When I was younger, I didn't particularly think the XJS was a great-looking car, and now as I've got older, I think the car's aged very well. And I think this is the case for the original XK um, and the later ones as well. And I think a five-liter V8 for that sort of money, 40k on the clock—that's that's got to be a bargain, isn't
2: it? Again, it's it's a it's a bargain car to buy, much sort of cheaper. And there are five-liter and five-point-three versions. I think is the is the XJS. There's a guy who lives on a route I regularly take towards Lewis from, from my home who uh, he seems, he appears to collect them. He has a field next to his house with a double-decker bus and about 20 or 25 XJS's in it. I, God knows what he's doing with them. I'm not sure he's doing anything with them. Just
1: buying them for parts because it's cheaper to buy a whole car and take the parts off. you Well, that
2: that may well be the case. He may, tucked away in his garage, have two absolutely pristine XJSs, (laughs) and the rest is a scrapyard, specifically to keep those two going. They weren't the most reliable of Jaguars.
0: Incidentally, I'm looking just looked at a Jaguar XK, as in the same shape I've been talking about. Eight thousand two hundred pounds. That's a lot of car for eight and a half grand. Uh, Well, nearly eight grand, isn't it?
2: And and they're ageing really well. But then the the other one that uh, is very, very collectible, similar sort of money, Bentleys. There's some really, really good Bentleys that, that I see regularly coming through classic car auctions. Sub 10 grand, you know, you've got to spend a lot of money on it. That's all part of the ownership deal. But a classic Brooklands Bentley of late 80s to mid 90s, that sort of period. Some great cars for the money.
0: I got offered a Continental GT, sensible miles, good history, great condition for sixteen and a half grand. They
1: are silly cheap. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Extraordinary. Continental
0: cheap. GT for that money is very good, um, and a Flying Spur for not much more. And you think a W12? That'd be tempting,
2: wouldn't it? Yes. What does a spark plug change on a W12 <laughs> cost? God knows.
0: Mm. Right, thirty grand. Let's let's go. Let's go balls out here. You've got thirty large in your pocket. What are you sticking it on? It doesn't need to be something sensible. What are you buying?
1: Mm, thirty. Can, can we go as as you've stretched with a bit of a negotiation? Can, can I go thirty two nine? Is that all right? Be, before oh, we haggle, that's a so bit you, of a stretch, What, isn't what it? have it's you stretch.
2: spotted for thirty two nine?
1: Uh, well, I've spotted, and uh, and this will be no surprise to uh, to Mr. Gates. I found an aerial atom. So if uh, if you want to oh, go right. something that's completely unsensible and uh, an ideal for social distancing purely because you'd be able to get away from anyone. one quicker than pretty much any other car on the road and I think actually not a not a bad investment they do seem to hold their value quite well these cars so I found a a very tidy one 2007 as always with cars of this type very low mileage 21,000 which is but that's that's enough mileage that it has at least been used regularly you do see some that are that are 10, 11, 12, 13 years old with only a few thousand on them which I think is a bit low ever-reliable Honda engine in the back of them, great fun on the road, but even more fun on the track, I'd uh, I'd have a one of them. Uh, absolutely no
0: surprise to, to see you go for the Atom, because that is, of course, exactly... Well, it's just you, isn't it? You, you love those things. I mean, 21,000 miles, but admittedly, I would have thought 21,000 hard miles. If it's been warmed up and cooled down, do you care? Probably not.
1: Well, if, if it has done 21,000 hard miles, then at least it's well-prepared for, for the ownership experience that, that I would be giving it. <laughs> but at least you uh, when you when
0: you go out, at least you let it warm up first before you give it uh, the full uh, full beef Wellington or indeed Absolutely. the full beans on toast.
2: Something that caught my eye recently and s- was slightly less money, which was uh, a Clio V6 Turbo, Ooh. and that really is a, is a, a wonderful beast, um, fabulous drive, fabulous drive. It's just endless amounts of power it's it's you know take take everything out of the back of 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 a Clio and stick a V6 in it
1: what could go wrong yeah exactly French engineering
2: (laughs) as long as it holds together it'll be great fun
1: a friend of mine has just bought a Clio
0: V6 phase two a silver one and they, they they always have had that sort of cult status I think coming from the max power generation people that's what they were aiming for to my mind though the 182 was a better drive Smaller engine up front, obviously a two-liter, and now these days, you know, a, a couple of grand if you want a really nice one. You, you know, if you push to four, then you get a nice one, but genuinely a great car and superb track car.
2: Yes, great track car.
0: Generally speaking, French cars don't push my buttons, with exception of the LP A110, which is in, again an incredible car. But when it comes to the fast Renaults, the Renault Sports, because I've refused to call them RSs, but the Renault Sports are. Genuinely brilliant little cars. And the 182, I think, is light, fast. It's it's everything you really want. I think that's a good shout. For me, it's not going to come as any surprise either what we're going to be going for here. I mentioned it earlier on. It would be an Aston Martin. The V8 Vantage, I think, is is very pretty and it's still the one that I want. But regardless of that, you can buy a DB9 for similar sort of money these days. Um, And the one that I've found has got history, good history. It's a... Uh, a V12, obviously, as you expect, uh, 5.9 litre. It's semi-auto, which I'm not sure I really like, but uh, 29,000 miles and £28,995. Thank you very much. That is an absolute bargain.
2: That is a bargain.
0: There are a couple around that sort of money, but if you, you know, as a family man now with needing four seats... Uh, so you've got two plus two. At least you can sort of squeeze a child in the back or an adult with no legs. Then you've um, you've got some options in terms of carting people around. But I mean, what a car! What a pretty car with a V12 and an umbrella that goes across the boot. I mean, because what more <laughs> could you need? I mean, you could have that in the Skoda Superb, but nevertheless, <laughs> genuinely think a uh, superb car. And I, I, there's another one, the higher mileage, nearly 60k. 28 grand, this is, in tungsten, in the sort of tungsten grey colour, which is kind of the colour you want, really. I think Aston's look best in silvers and greys. And again, you sort of think, so tempting, that sort of money, That's are they ever going to be cheaper than that? Is Is now the right time to buy one? It's going to appreciate in value, and if nothing else, you can leave it and leave it to sit there as a piece of art, to be honest, because it is a beautiful, (laughs) beautiful car. So that is probably what I would buy, and I would be very poor very quickly. A every time I filled it up, because it gets seventeen to the gallon, and it costs about a hundred pounds to fill up. B because of the insurance and maintenance costs of it, and C because if it does go wrong, then you are paying a lot of money. It's about five grand for a windscreen, for example, and
1: believe me, I've looked. Is, is that not fifty pound excess through your insurance for a windscreen? Oh yes, that'd be that'd be the one. <laughs> no, That's exactly no the one.
0: But yes, you know, yeah, if you're talking. 800 pounds for oil change do you factor that into the cost of ownership i guess you probably do and just count yourself very lucky you get to drive such a a pretty car if you want to go as left field as you jim there is another option for aston martin ownership now this is much cheaper to run because it's based on the toyota iq you could only buy them i think if you were buying an aston martin at the times in the proper full size one and this is the aston martin signet which has the Aston badges on it. It has some fancy trim, a bit like the Rolls-Royce Mini. And these have become a collector's car in their own right. So for the same money as the Aston Martin DB9 V12 29K that I uh, I just pointed out, you can buy a Signet. They are, for some reason, and I have no idea why, a rare car. Um, So if you want (laughs) exclusivity and you want to be able to drive around as something that's not going to cost the earth to run, then there you go. The signet, what a
2: beauty! Uh, I, th- I think I'll pass on that offer.
1: <laughs> I think I'd be tempted to uh, to compare servicing costs of a, uh, a signet at an Aston Martin dealership compared with an IQ at a Toyota dealership. I'd be willing to bet there's a bit of a gap between the two.
0: Yes, but can you imagine if you took your Aston in and they said, "Good news, we've got a courtesy car for you. Don't worry, it's an Aston Martin." <laughs> 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 I'm not sure you'd fit your golf bats in the bag.
1: I think there's a uh, there's a reason that uh that some cars are popular, there's a reason that some cars are unpopular. There's there's a reason that some cars are rare and uh, and occasionally there's another reason that some cars are rare. And I think uh, the Signet definitely falls into the latter category
2: there. Yeah, so they're cars that are rare because they deserve to be so. Exactly. Uh, because they they were they were an aberration of some designers' <laughs> consciousness uh, and and should never have been allowed on the road.
0: What they are is a way to bring down the average CO2 of a company.
2: (laughs) That's what these
0: things are. Depending on what happens with CO2 as time goes on, this is what we're going to see. Some very poorly rebadged cars ending up being a way to to pull down your CO2. I nearly said your trousers, but pull down your CO2. Talking of
2: rebadging, a cheaper way of doing it would be buy an IQ and an Aston Martin badge for 45 quid.
0: That is a way of doing it. You can make a Signet replica.
1: <laughs> well I'd uh, I quite like to talk about um about rebadged cars and bits and pieces like that but I think we've uh, we've rambled on for enough for this evening so uh maybe between now and the next one if we uh, if we have a think about rebadged cars uh, such as the Aston Martin Signet but um some other examples so in between now and then get your thinking caps on and we'll uh, we'll have a chat about those next time so catch us next time on that
0: one guys um, we've got a few things I that we've been chatting about off air, like uh, brands that we we're really glad have vanished. So if you're uh, if you're a fan of Chevrolet uh, in the UK, and by Chevrolet I mean rebadged Deus, why don't you uh, listen to us next time? And if you agree or disagree with us, you can then write into us and and tell us how wrong or right you think we are. But for now, the heat's got to us, so I think it's probably time that we we said cheerio.
2: Just stay safe out there, keep indoors and stay safe, and then we'll get out. Before long, and back in the cars again.
0: Yes, look after yourselves, and we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Take care. Cheers for listening to us. We really appreciate it. Do keep sending us your tweets, your Facebook messages, writing into us at UK Motor Talk Towers, PO Box, whatever it is. It's always great to hear from you, and we look forward to speaking to you again soon. UK Motor Talk. A First Take Media production.